These are the Greek Myth Files, a close look into the Greek mythical story world, its gods, its heroes, and its monstrous others. Each episode features a story or broader topic that we dig into, analyze, and try to explain in a smart but accessible way. They are brought to you by the Classics Program at the University of New Hampshire and its crack team of undergraduates. I'm your host, Professor Scott Smith. We're interrupting our Season 3 narrative about the Argo and the Argonauts to bring you a special episode, one prompted by the production of an ancient tragedy, the Hecuba, which is being performed later this month and next month at the University of New Hampshire. The play was composed nearly 2,500 years ago by the great Athenian playwright Euripides and takes place, like all of the episodes in Season 3, to the east of what we think of as Greece, a land near the famous city of Troy. It is a harrowing play, full of grief and vengeance, and is meant to explore the limits of human patience and suffering. In this episode, we'll first give you a look at the background of the play and describe the events that transpire in it. Then we have a special treat, an interview with the director of the play and its lead actor, Julia Summer, who not only plays Hecuba, but who has also been a central member of this podcast team of student voice actors. So sit back, relax, and enjoy another episode of The Greek Myth Files. Greek tragedy was a dramatic performance that took place yearly in Athens. It was a competition where playwrights would vie for the fame that came with winning first prize for their plays in the city Dionysia, the local festival in Athens celebrating the god Dionysus. There was a lot that went into producing a tragic play. Not only did the playwright have to have his selection of intended plays selected by a committee, he had to oversee the production of four plays, and the city chose a wealthy member of society to pay for, choreograph, and costume a group of dancers and singers called the Chorus. It was an elaborate event, full of pageantry and costing a pretty penny to put on, and it was one of the premier events of the year in the Greek world. In fact, the timing of the start of the festival in late March was purposeful. It was at this time that sea travel opened up, and so dignitaries from other cities could come and visit the city and enjoy the performances. Simply put, there was nothing else quite like the festival where ancient tragedies were performed. The subject of nearly every tragedy that we know of was drawn from the events from the mythical story world. There was only one surviving play that took as its scene a historical event, the Persian War, but even that episode has a veneer of myth and legend. One of the plays composed by Euripides, the third and last of the great Athenian tragedians, was the Hecuba, which is a play first about suffering and loss, and then about pure revenge. We are fortunate here at the University of New Hampshire to be putting on a production of this play, even as COVID continues to make life challenging for us all. The play is named after its central character, Hecuba, Greek Hecabe, who was the queen of Troy. She was married to the king of Troy, Priam, and was the mother of the majority of his 50 sons and many other daughters. In other words, she was a pretty big deal, and she was, for all intents and purposes, a symbol of wealth, power, prestige, and prosperity. But Euripides' play is set after the city of Troy had been destroyed and razed by the Greeks after a long and arduous 10-year siege. The Trojan War, a monumental epic struggle, was the culminating event of the Greek mythical story world, and it served as the basis for several ancient tragedies. 
One of these tragedies, also by Euripides, is the Trojan Women, which recounts the events that take place the very morning after the Greeks sack the city. It dramatizes the indignity of the Trojan women, rounded up after their husbands had been killed, as they are selected as war prizes by the Greeks. The Trojan women also includes the horrifying murder of the young son of Hector, the Trojans' best fighter and leader. Throughout the play, Hecuba, Queen of Troy, watches on as the events unfold around her, a passive witness without any agency. Turning now to our play, the Hecuba is also set after the sack of Troy and also features Hecuba as the main character, but the scene and events described are different. Instead of being set on the shores of Troy, the Hecuba takes place across the Strait of Water in what they would call the barbarian land of Thrace. Here, the Greeks, prompted by the ghost of their best fighter, Achilles, decide to sacrifice Hecuba's daughter, Polyxena, as an honor to Achilles. And this is the event that covers the first half of the play. The news is horrifying to Hecuba, another loss on top of so many others. The once Queen of Troy had already seen all of her sons and daughters perish in the war. And in most ancient versions, Priam has 50 sons, of which 49 were killed in the war itself. We'll come back to the 50th in a bit. But back to Polyxena. In the play, Odysseus, the most persuasive of all the Greeks, comes to Hecuba and announces the intention of the Greeks. Polyxena must be sacrificed. Hecuba is horrified and crushed, but Polyxena surprisingly gives herself up, arguing that such a death was far preferable to becoming a slave. It is a gut-wrenching scene. It's hard enough to lose children in the melee of war, but this is a deliberate act of killing, one that unfolds with a cruel logic of religious honor. But despite the blow, the main event of the play is yet to unfold. Unbeknownst to the Greeks, Hecuba and her husband had, at the outbreak of the war, secretly sent their youngest son, Polydorus, to their Thracian ally, King Polymester of Thrace, to raise. This was sort of a security measure to ensure that, if things went badly in Troy, as actually happened, they would have a surviving son to rebuild things. They had sent him with a large amount of gold to compensate Polymester for raising him and keeping him safe while the war went on back home. So long as Troy held out against the Greeks, Polymester kept to the deal. But once the Greeks sacked the city, Polymester treacherously murdered Polydorus and took the gold. And to add insult to injury, King Polymester callously threw the dead corpse into the sea, only to have it wash up on the shore as Hecuba is mourning Polyxena's death. This leads to Hecuba's transition from passively grieving to actively seeking revenge. Now, we won't reveal the ending of the play here, and you should go read it for yourself, or better yet, see a production of the play. But simply put, Hecuba is a fascinating study in the limits of suffering by a grieving mother. In the next segment, we'll take you inside a modern production of the Hecuba, with an interview of both the director of the play and the lead actor who plays Hecuba herself. Stay tuned! Well, welcome, everyone. Uh, I want to thank uh, our guests today for coming uh, and joining us for our podcast. Uh, we have David Kay and Julia Summer here, and I'll let them introduce themselves. So, David, why don't you go ahead and start? Hi, everybody. I'm David Kay. I am a professor of theater in the Department of Theater and Dance. I've been here since 1996, which is a little hard for me to believe. Julia, how about you? 
Uh, hi, everyone. I'm Julia Summer. You've heard my voice on this podcast before. I am a junior acting, directing, and secondary theater ed double major, and I'm currently playing Hecuba in the UNH Theater and Dance Department uh, production of Hecuba. <laughs> That's wonderful. I'm really excited to have you both here. Okay, let's go ahead and get into the questions. That's why we're all here. Um, and of course, you know, it's always interesting to ask the director um, the first question, mainly because the question is, is why choose this play? Like, why did you choose Hecuba? And was there anything specific to the play that resonated in like the current circumstance? So I'm interested in your thoughts on that. Well, of course, we weren't supposed to be doing Hecuba. We weren't supposed to be doing Greek theater at all. We were supposed to be doing a production of The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime, which was actually scheduled for last spring and uh, got canceled. Instead, we did a piece called The Curious Incident of a Curious Incident, a, a pandemic meta play. Which, where we kind of slammed the students' lives and the themes of the play into a single piece. And Julia was in that. Um, and then we ended that with a really like pronounced, now somewhat naive statement, which is come back next spring, we're gonna do the whole production, which of course we're not. So all of a sudden we had to do a shift and the shift was going to have to also be, you know, of course we're having to make these decisions in February when things were particularly dire um, with COVID and COVID restrictions. So I started to think about what in the world we could do looking towards the spring. And that's where sort of the idea of doing something outside kind of came to the surface. So I said, okay, well, if we're gonna do something outside, what kind of theater might work best outside, which also is going to have to need masks. Of course, that's when the light bulb went on to say, well, you know, it seems to be the perfect time to mm. do classic Greek tragedy. But then, which, what should we do? You know, you kind of wanted to say, like, you know, if we really want to mirror uh, COVID, should we go, you know, should we do the Oedipus? Uh, I mean, we've got a, we've got a, a, a city with it's dealing with a plague, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, of course, we, we had, uh, we did the Theban cycle not too long ago. Um, and, but I, I was also looking at the political situation at the time. And so I actually had a conversation with my friend, James Arietti, who teaches at Hamden Sydney College. He's actually come up here and lectured uh, before. And I, and I just actually, I put the question to him. I said, what do you think is the most relevant Greek tragedy or Greek play to do right now? Because I actually had earlier been thinking, I, I, my first thought was to do Prometheus Bound, uh, mostly because I had this sort of image. I thought we could do it out in the, out in the woods or we could find a really cool place. But you know the plays. It, you know, Prometheus is very, uh, it's very philosophical in the sense that it's 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 high on thought but low on action. Yep. And it, that makes it tough. And so I was talking to Jim about that, and I say, you know, I really I need a piece that's that's stronger in action. And and um, you know we'd sort of been battering around, and then sort of the light bulb went on his you know you know on his head, saying, yeah, Kekuba might just be the play to do right now. So Julie, I want to I want to turn to you now. So, um, when you got the part, did you know much about the story? Like, did you know the story of the Trojan War and Hecuba, or is this something that that you had to learn? Yeah. So I didn't know Hecuba's specific story, but I am pretty familiar with the Trojan War. Um, I remember I studied it a bit in high school, and then various um, like theater history classes and stuff in college. So I knew enough going in that I knew the story, and I basically I knew everything that happened up until the end of the Trojan War. And I wasn't as familiar with what happened immediately afterwards. Um, I did my, you know, my actors research going into auditions, but I wasn't really familiar with it until we actually got into the text. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> this is quite a lot happening. So what's it like 
now that you know the story and have gotten into the rehearsals, what's it like playing Hecuba? And do you have any thoughts about like, like what that woman's going through? Yes, I do have some thoughts. <laughs> um, <laughs> the most immediate thing that comes to my mind when playing this part is that it's exhausting. Um, and not just from a, you know, rehearsals are long and difficult or whatever. It's just, it's an experience that no person is really meant to go through. I don't think that any person is really equipped to suffer in the way that she does. Cause it's just, it's really just hit after hit. I mean, she has a line in the show, um, wave upon wave of pain. And that's really the show is just one thing after another. Um, and from an acting standpoint, it can be incredibly difficult to get to that point. Cause I mean, so much of what we learn in acting is how to identify with our characters and how to you know, really understand them and empathize with them. And Hecuba, everything Hecuba's been through is nothing I've ever been close to experiencing. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot of, on my part, creating those imaginary circumstances for myself and also just understanding and learning more about who she is as a person and as a character and how she operates in this world as things are happening to her. Um, we talk a lot about status with this play because I mean, Hecuba, I mean, Queen of Troy, it's the only thing about that is King of Troy. You know, <laughs> there's, she's pretty, pretty high up status wise. And then the war ends and she's immediately flung to the bottom of the, the, the status. So it's riding that wave of knowing, knowing who you are on the inside, but then having to translate that to who you've become on the outside is, it's a lot for sure. And that brings me to another question and I'll, I'll let um, David answer it first, but I also, I also want your thoughts too, Julia, which is given that this is an emotionally fraught play, and that you have masks, right? Not just COVID masks, but like ancient Greek masks. How does one try and get um, that emotion across without our typical cues of facial expression and other things like that? Well, you know, we started our very first rehearsal after we did the table work, just sort of working through the text of the play. And David Richmond joined us for that. He's serving as our dramaturge. Uh, the next step really was mask training. Uh, because the, for an actor to operate a mask, and I usually use that terminology to operate the mask because it is this sort of separate entity that is a tool that the actor has to learn how to manipulate in order to make the mask express. So uh, fortunately, we were able to use our dance studio, which of course has lots of mirrors. Um, so the students were able to go through this training process and of course, it's not just the mask because the mask has to fit on the body and the body and the mask have to work together ultimately to put forth the expression that the actor hopes to put forth. But feeling it only gets you halfway there when you're doing a mask performance. It has to be physicalized in some way and the mask has to be manipulated to project that emotion. Julia, what about you? Like, uh, have, has this been a challenge for you? Yes, <laughs> it definitely has. Um, so much of the training that we do here at UNH is about looking inward and, and finding things on the inside and how to be emotional in that way. So it's kind of, it's, a, it's kind of just flipping all of that on its head. So it's been a learning process of learning how to take, okay, this is happening in my, my up here, my face and my head, and I have to put it into my fingers or into my, my calves or whatever, you know, what David was saying about operating the mask. I mean, it's about like you have to do your homework outside of rehearsal and look, just spend time in front of a mirror and learn, okay, when I tilt my head this way, the light does this and that makes it look like it's expressing this thing. And then how does that facial, quote unquote, facial expression connect to what's happening with the rest of your body? You know, you have to be so aware of your entire instrument, really. 
and, and you know, it also you know might might remind us that the ancient tragedians who are writing these plays are writing dialogue and writing lines that reflect the fact that maybe emotion has to be done through words rather than just simply expressions, right? So there's this combination of language and actors' ability to express themselves through larger, uh, more dynamic type of movements, that sort of thing. So I wanna ask David, because most of our uh, audience probably does not know what the word dramaturge means. If maybe a one sentence description of what a dramaturge is, um, in the production of a, of, of a play? Well, a, a dramaturge in theater is a real benefit to a director because they bring in all of the added knowledge, historical, um, as well as literature text-based to help the actors and the director go deeper inside of the text. And uh, David Richman is a longtime faculty member uh, with our department who is a formidable dramaturge. Thinking about the mass, you know, I always think about the question of how to present an ancient Greek tragedy. You can either bring the audience to the tragedy by keeping it very kind of classically oriented with masks and a chorus and that sort of thing, or you can modernize it and bring costumes and other kind of things to the audience's level and their knowledge. And I wonder if you can talk, David, about where on the spectrum this is, because in, in earlier productions, you've really modernized things in dramatic ways. And I think that that's important. I wonder where, where this stands on that kind of spectrum. Yeah, the last production that I directed here at UNH of Greek was Electra, which we did as sort of a goth heavy metal musical. Uh, but ultimately though, that idea really flowed from saying, well, what was the, what, what could we do that would somehow uh, tap into what perhaps what the experience might have been like for those ancient Greeks. And I always thought that like at that time, I was like, you know, a heavy metal concert might have been kind of the electricity that existed when the Greeks entered that amphitheater to see that piece at that time. So for this one, the you know, we're really talking about the style of the of how we're going to present it. And I often, with my uh, directing students, I often refer to style as the rules that govern the special world of the play. Mm. And as you've, as you've remarked, I said, it's like we're trying to find a key between the actors and the audience and what will help bring this all together in a, in a sort of a, a single community event. So you're absolutely right. I think trying to find a key, I mean, we, certainly one can do it as, um, I mean, I guess the derogatory way of saying it would be like a museum piece. And I, and I think that's unfair because I think you can do a very, uh, what we might, I don't know, call it traditional perhaps, that can be moving and powerful. Uh, but it sets a set of rules of how the actors are gonna behave within their world and how that's gonna be transmitted. Mm -hmm. So I would say that in this piece, we have sort of, you know, I guess the, the best I'm saying is that we have kind of fused the worlds. We are definitely, because we're going with mask, we are of course embracing a much more traditional uh, or original form of this Greek theater than I've ever directed. Uh, but at the same time, I feel like you have no choice but to find its contemporary edge. And I think we've done that partially through costuming, partially through music, partially through a lot of uh, different methods. Uh, but I think it's, you know, somewhere along the line, there's a spectrum, no matter what you do, and that production is gonna find itself somewhere between the now and the then. Julia, we were talking before we started this interview proper about like, how's it going? Um, and, you know, you mentioned that this was, 
that this was exhausting. And I wonder if you can take us through what it's like for an actor to have such an incredibly ponderous role. It's a big role. I mean, Hecuba is the thing that connects all the pieces of this. Can you take us through like, why is it exhausting and how do you, how do you deal with all of this? So, yeah, it's, I think the first thing is that it's exhausting because I'm just not used to having to be in such an emotional state for a prolonged period of time. So just on like a basic physical level, it is just very tiring, but also having to go to that mental place and being okay with it is a really hard thing to train yourself to do. Because as people, I feel like we, we put up walls because we don't want people to see that, that falling apart inside of us. Hmm. And the, there's so much happening to Hecuba in this play, you really can't avoid watching her fall apart. You know, like this woman has truly lost everything. And what does a person look like when they've lost everything? What does that feel like? It's a scary place to go to and you have to be okay with not just feeling it, but letting everyone watch you go there. Hmm. And that is really, really scary and vulnerable. So a big part of the exhaustion is just reminding myself that like, it's okay to feel this. And actually maybe you could probably go a little further with it. And that's, it's just, it's scary, you know, but at the same time, that's kind of as an actor, that's, it's like a dream come true to be able to do that. It's a lot of hard work. You know, it is a beast of a show. Absolutely. And it's long nights in the theater and all of us are tired and we, we're all emotionally spent, but we have to keep going. Knowing the, the importance and the weight of this role is a little daunting, you know, knowing that there, not that there's a, a wrong way to play her necessarily, but knowing that um, I want to do her and her story justice. Mm. And yep. that's, you know, that's a big weight to carry. But I think, I think we're doing a pretty good job <laughs> so far. <laughs> so, so, so remind me, is Hecuba off stage at all, really? The only times that she goes off stage are to just mourn the loss of her daughter or to kill people and blind someone uh, you know you know one of the things um and maybe we we don't need, need to get into this too much but um one of the things that classical scholars do when they look at a play is basically criticize its unity and how closely connected it is and you know mm -hmm. hecuba is not known to be one of the most well-renowned ancient plays that we have surviving from the ancient world you know it's you know, you know oedipus the king of course is is held up by aristotle and others as like the play and Hecuba is a dramatically important play, but it doesn't quite get the same kind of press. And one of the things that classical scholars who look at this say is that the, the two parts of the play are not unified in a way that we would like them to be. The first part, of course, Polixena volunteers to die. On the other hand, we have you know the blinding of Polymester after he kills Hecuba's son, Polydorus. And I wonder, you know, as a director, David, do you even see that when you're directing this? Or do you have to keep that in mind to try and think about how to get those two parts together? Or is that something that just kind of like happens as the performance comes out and let the, the actual play do the talking? Well, it's interesting you say that because when I was first, you know, you go through a phase as a director where it just lives in your head. You know, haven't cast it, haven't even had auditions yet. Yeah. Um, and I was wrestled with that very question and I had even considered at one point I thought I wonder if it'd be interesting to cast two Hecubas hmm. um, and have them actually switch when the play uh, transits from grief to vengeance and then as I you know as we as we started to get closer you know I I think I recognized far more of the unity and so I, I actually dispute the idea, uh, th though there are definitely two halves of this play, 
there is the grief half of the play and the vengeance half of the play. The more I started to get my brain inside the world, the more that I saw that that the the grief and the vengeance were two sides of a coin. Mm-hmm. You know, when we think of those two sides as sometimes being opposites, but I don't think that's necessarily the case. It's it's just that we can experience one, but we could also experience the other. Mm-hmm. And there's a distinct point in the play. It's hard because it doesn't the play doesn't give us a lot. But there's a point in the play when Hecuba goes from being the hunted to the hunter. Mm. There is sort of the definitive straw that breaks the camel's back, which is the the death of her son. And so I feel that it's a very truthful and human transition. And of course, the challenge for Julia is that she has to find that transition experience the transition and communicate that transition to the audience. Julia, do you have any thoughts about how you're, how you're planning on doing that? Can you reveal to us what the, what the secret is of that? Yeah. I mean, I think I very much agree with David that it really is two sides of the same coin. You can't have the second half without having the first half. So just knowing everything that she's gone through up until that point is so vital to, to getting to the vengeance. I think David and I kind of know in our own heads where that moment is and we're, we're still playing with it. And I'm still having to experiment with how exactly to, to play that. Um, but it really just comes down to knowing Hecuba's train of thought and knowing how she thinks and sees the world. Mm. Um, and that's really, it's, it's still a work in progress, obviously, because we're still in rehearsals. But um, there, I, to me, there is a very definitive moment where we go from the, the, the loss and the grief and the sadness of losing her children to, okay, now I'm gonna do something about it. I love this conversation, mainly because I always worry about people who study a text as text and they don't have to go through the process of having to perform it or to direct it or to be part of the actual performance. Because if you don't do that, you don't understand the, the way in which a director or actors can contribute to the bringing out of the stuff in the text. And I think that that's a really important kind of like overall lesson for us to remember is, you know, when you're actually looking at a drama from a textual perspective, you ought to put it on stage in order to understand its fullness, because otherwise you're going to be making assumptions that really aren't there. COVID, David, you mentioned that earlier. That COVID is a challenge. And I think that, you know, you know, we don't appreciate the importance uh, of like being together and seeing live performance until all of a sudden it's taken away from us. So I wonder if you can talk about like why you even want to do this in a COVID situation when it'd be easier to say, ah, we'll do it next year. Yeah, going back to that idea of why we even chose this play. And one of the other reasons was is that <laughs> I stated very clearly, I cannot handle another Zoom play. <laughs> done several i've seen a lot i just couldn't do it i really wanted to dedicate myself that before this academic year was out we were going to have a chance for the for our students both the actors and audience to have a real live theater experience so that was that was really also part of the fire uh that was the, that was adding fuel to the, the desire to do this play but ultimately the face of covid gave us a lot of challenges one of which for instance this was going to have to be done all within the unh covid testing circle mm. well the play calls for paula mester's two young sons 
to show up basically to get murdered. Well, this is a problem. I don't have two young children that are going to be within the UNH testing circuit. So one of the things we had to do is we had to write their presence, their physical presence out of the play. Mm. They're still there. They show up. The audience just doesn't ever see them. But that was a problem. And that was a little bit of a sacrifice, too. Mm. And as we've been going into rehearsals now, of course, we, we, we've had to create understudies, uh, which we don't always do for a short run play like what we have here at UNH. But as COVID, uh, you know, uh, all it takes is, you know, one person close to you to test positive and an actor is out of rehearsal for 10 days. Mm. Well, right now we have our Odysseus out for 10 days and our assistant director out for 10 days. And now we're sort of living in this precarious uh, anxiety filled period where we're saying, oh my gosh, going forward, if anybody gets, co get, it gets uh, you know, there's a positive test within their circle, now it's gonna go into performance. We've actually uh, uh, already strategized what we would do if our Hecuba all of a sudden gets quarantined. So Julia, as, a, as an actor, how is COVID affecting your, like, does it affect you at all? Or is it just a, like, a, like the fear in the back of your brain that, oh my goodness, if something happens, bad things happen? So I, it definitely is on my mind. Not, it's not a, a always conscious thing necessarily, but the, just the way that I live my life now is, very, is as COVID safe as possible because of just, that's, you know, my personal choice um, to, to be, safe. I only see, I have very limited close contacts. You know, I'm intentionally very safe about it because I know I'm in a show and I need to be available. But at the, on kind of on top of that, earlier this semester, I directed a show that uh, the live performances were canceled because of COVID. Mm -hmm. So that is also very much on my mind. And that's still something I haven't gotten over and that'll take me time and that's a me thing. <laughs> but just the, the still feeling the weight of that, knowing that going into this performance, like I, Basically, I'm like, I can't lose another show, you know, and I refuse to be that person who makes it happen. Yeah. So I'm just trying to live my life as safely as possible, encouraging others to do the same. Obviously, I can't control what other people do. And I've tried and it doesn't work. So I'm just letting, you know, let people do what they do and hope they make the right choices. Are, are there any last thoughts? Yeah, I'm just I'm very excited to share this show with everybody. I think it um, a lot of times people hear classical, especially Greek classical and it's kind of this foreign daunting thing that no one understands or that people don't identify with and I kind of just want to dispel that fear before it even arises you know um this, this play anyone who knows anything about the Trojan War or its aftermath or about the Odyssey knows the idea that violence perpetuates violence and pain perpetuates fear and and it, it's it's really a cycle and I was especially struck I mean um, we got the news recently that uh, after 20 years, President Biden is going to be pulling all troops out of uh, Afghanistan. And that war is as old as I am. You know, people wow. my age, we've lived the life that these people have lived to a certain extent, not fully because we're not in the countries that these things are happening to, but we know what it's like to be stuck in a war for even longer than the Trojan War actually lasted for. So I think um, it's just, I've, I think this play is so important and it's really timely and I think people are going to get a lot out of it, even though it's classical and it was written however long ago, you know, it's still, it's still relevant. 
if I could just tack onto that, you know, just, even in this conversation, you know, we're going back to the idea of, of grief and rage, you know, and uh, this just sort of came up in rehearsal the other night, sort of the connections of Black Lives Matter and how Black Lives Matter also goes along that line of grief and rage. And at any point in time, it can flip to one side or the other. Um, also something that had sort of been weighing in my mind and it, it didn't necessarily find its way too much into the production, but it was always sitting was sitting in the back was um, the Siege of Aleppo, mm. which I, I, I felt very much was our like, perhaps our most recent contemporary version of the fall of Troy. Um, but a lot of the suffering, a lot of uh, the, the, the power of that, you know, of that dominant uh, entity that just overruns and destroys and levels a city. Uh, you know, we think of that again as saying, oh, you know, that was back in ancient times when they would just level a city. Well, um, Aleppo wasn't that long ago. Um, we still do it to this very day. Well, that's it for another edition of the Greek Myth Files, brought to you by the University of New Hampshire's Classics Program and its crack team of undergraduates. We hope you've enjoyed our background story to the play Hecuba, as well as our interviews with the director and the lead actor. David Kay, professor of theater and dance, and Julia Summer, a student here who's also a voice actor on the Greek Myth Files. Please stay tuned for our next episode, which will take us back to the Argo and the Argonauts, where we'll see them on their voyage to places unknown. This has been the Greek Myth Files, signing off for just a little while. See you next time. <laughs>